0: We're thrilled to have our friend Bob Schwann, who's going to share the word with us today. And Bob is the campus director for Campus Crusade for Christ, right here on the campus of MSU. And uh, lots of you traffic with him regularly. And there's not a better guy on planet Earth, in my opinion, to share with us the stuff that he's going to share with us over the next few minutes. And so, would you please give a very warm Journey Church welcome to our friend Bob Schwann? Right. Legit. That was legit. You know, we're a full disclosure church here, so I need to say that I was the one that put the nickel on there. Brian made such a big deal about it in the first service that there was a nickel on there, and so I thought, would he do it? Would he do that twice? And, and indeed he would. So for me, it was, it was about 20 years ago that I first showed up here in Bozeman as a freshman in college. I had my little Honda Accord packed with about everything that I owned, and I was ready for a brand new life. I was going to pursue an engineering degree, and I was going to pursue having as much fun as I possibly could, and not necessarily in that order. That was what I had on my mind. But it didn't take very long before just the, the pressure that I put on myself to excel academically and just the emptiness that there was in my life from just trying to live from good time to good time to good time left me feeling incredibly empty on the inside. If I were to have been really honest, I would have communicated that my life was kind of unraveling on the inside. It was a really difficult time for me. And one of the things that made it even more difficult is so many people had told me when I went to college, these are the best years of your life. Make sure you enjoy these years of your life. And I'm thinking if this is the best that life has to offer, I don't know that I'm that excited about my future. At the beginning of my sophomore year of college, I was moving in to an apartment complex just across the street from the field house. And as I was moving stuff into my apartment, there was this guy that was zipping around on a scooter out in the parking lot. And as as he was kind of coming around, I realized that I recognized him uh, from the year before. Actually, before we even came to college, we were in a freshman orientation group together. And so I kind of, kind of flagged each other down and he pulled over and you know, we just started catching up a little bit, kind of a little chit-chat kind of thing. And then I, I threw out to him what I felt like was a pretty innocent question. I just I just said, so what's new with you? And he says to me, well, I became a Christian. And I'm thinking, who says that when you, when you ask that question? You know, really, I mean, who says that? I mean, didn't he get the memo that guys, when you're talking, and you just say, hey, what's up? You say nothing, and you say, hey, what's up? Nothing. Not, you know, It's just kind of small talk. You don't, you, don't, you, don't, you don't drop the God bomb right in the middle of a conversation like that. But it started a conversation with us. He just began to ask me about my spiritual life. And I, I'd grown up around Christian things, and so I did the best job I could to, to try to make it sound like I knew what I was talking about. You know, I'm in the club, don't worry about that. But uh, I really did not know what was going on in, in my spiritual life. And it didn't take him very long of just kind of watching my life to see that I, I think that there's some things that he's missing about what it means to have a personal relationship with God. And, and it started a, a friendship and it started continued conversations. One time he just said, you know, I would love to just sit down with you sometime and explain to you what God has done for me and what he's done for you and how you could have a personal relationship with God. And I, I kind of assumed that he was not going to give me any new information because I'd kind of grown up around the whole church thing. And so I, I went to this meeting with him more just out of for him than for me. So I thought. As he sat down and he began to explain to me in in a very simple way what God was like, what God had done for me and the great lengths that God had gone to to give me a way that I could have a relationship with him through Christ, things began to break loose in my heart. Things that I had heard my whole life began to suddenly kind of crystallize in my mind and things started to make sense to me. In this one conversation, and I remember as I, as I left the student union building, I ended up, I was kind of walking out in front of the library there on the campus and I literally felt like I was at a crossroads in my life, that God was asking me to make a decision. Are you gonna continue to try to do this on your own? Or are you gonna trust me with your life? And I remember feeling like at the time, this was the easiest decision in the world because I'd been trying to do it on my own and it was not working out very well at all. And I just said, God, if you are like that, if you're real and you're like that, then I want to have a relationship with you. I want to follow you with my life. And that really began to, to send my life on a on a completely different trajectory than it was on at that moment. And I oftentimes think back to my friend that was really influential in my life. And when I think about him, the thing that the dominant emotion that I feel is just gratitude. I'm incredibly grateful. That there was someone that was passionate enough about his relationship with God and cared enough about me to to get his arm around me in life and explain to me how my life could be changed forever. How I could be released of this incredible heaviness of guilt and shame in my life. How I could have a real purpose for living. That I could have a real hope for the future and what God was going to do not only in this world but for eternity that I was going to spend with God. I was so grateful that god did that through this friend of mine and i've often thought and and i try to think about things logically you know i was an engineer by training so you've got to try to think about things logically if god used this guy in my life to give me the greatest gift that i've ever been given while i've walked this earth what would be the greatest thing that i could do for the people that i rub shoulders with in my world well, well, it's just kind of obvious, the greatest thing that I could ever do is be a part of helping them receive the greatest gift that God has ever offered them, the gift of a relationship with God through Christ. And that leads us to our big idea for today, and it reads simply like this, God's plan is to use his people to be an on-ramp to a relationship with him. God's given this great gift, and his plan is that he wants to use us, his people, the people in this room, that, that's his plan. He wants to use us to help be an on-ramp for people into a relationship with God. But I know whenever I bring up this topic of sharing your faith or talking about evangelism, it can, it can be a really touchy subject with some people. People will say, you know, I really want people to find God. I really do. I really want God to change their life. But don't ask me to do anything. Don't ask me to step into it. it that, that's just not my thing. You know, I, I just don't feel comfortable doing that. I just wouldn't know what to say. You know, I might offend somebody and and I wouldn't only just offend them, I'd probably make it worse. I'd probably just push people away from Christ. Why can't we just assume that they can believe what they want to believe and I can believe what I want to believe and God will somehow just kind of sort it out in the end and everything's going to be okay. Why don't we just keep our mouth shut and leave well enough alone? You know, I think, you know, maybe there's a point there. Maybe, maybe there's a point to be made there. You know, I know for the, the staff around Journey, you know, it'd be a lot easier if every one of us in this room would just make a commitment that we're not gonna talk to people about Christ anymore. We're not gonna invite any more people to come here on the weekends. We've got all these kids in the kids' ministry. We've got parking problems outside. And I, I have to preach this sermon three times on a weekend instead of just once. If we would all just make a commitment to keep our mouths shut, it would be a whole lot easier for a whole lot more people around here. Why would any of us want to take the time that it takes an incredible amount of time to get involved in the lives of other people? Why would we want to take that time, the incredible amount of emotional energy that it takes to get involved in the lives of other people, and just the incredible amount of financial resources that it takes to be the kind of church that's going to reach out to a community? Why would we do that? The reason is that God wants to use us to be an on-ramp to life in Christ. We're going to look at a story from the Bible today that I think helps give us a picture and helps give us kind of maybe a little bit of a snapshot and some things that we can uh, begin to wash over our mind that I think will change our heart on this idea of sharing our faith with people or being involved in the lives of helping being an on-ramp. I think it can help change our heart but compel us as well and motivate us to get off the bench when it comes to sharing our faith in Christ. What I wanna do is I just wanna read the entire story to you and then I want us to go back and I wanna look at this story from a couple of different different lenses that I think will help make sense of this story for us from God's perspective. The story is found in Mark chapter two and it starts out this way in verse one. A few days later when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered there that there was no room left not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, they lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of everyone, in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. The first lens I want us to look through is I want us to to look through the lens and look at the paralyzed man. Think about what life was like for him in the ancient world to be in that condition. His entire life was confined to a mat three feet wide and six feet long. He can't feed himself, he can't carry himself, he can't clothe himself. He needs someone to move him so he doesn't get sores all over his body. He needs someone to clean him when he soils himself. He is never gonna experience the incredible independence that we just so prize in our country. Nothing can be done for him medically. There's no surgeries. There's no rehab programs. There's no treatment centers. There's no way for him to contribute to society. His life is pretty much confined to be a beggar laid beside the road, hoping that someone each day will come along and throw him a few coins so that he can live for another day. If there was ever a candidate for hopelessness in this world, it's this guy. It's this guy right here. I want to ask you a question. If we were to try to figure out what was the greatest need facing this man on this day, what would you say? What is the greatest need that was facing him? You know, the, the answer seems kind of obvious, doesn't it? It seems like almost kind of intuitive. This, this guy's paralyzed. This is his whole life. In fact, his, his condition actually defines him. Isn't it interesting that they don't even tell us this guy's name in this story? He's not Jim. He's not John. He's just the paralyzed man. That's who he is. But he's got something going for him. He's got this group of friends that have gone to incredibly great lengths to get him at the feet of Jesus. These friends have gone out of their way To make sure that he's going to have an encounter with the one who can change his life forever. That can right all the wrongs that have been dealt this guy in his life. And so they do all this hard work to get him through the roof down at the feet of Jesus. And I'm imagining as they're looking down through the hole in the roof, they're excited. This guy's body is finally going to be whole. If the things that they're saying about Jesus are true, he's going to make him well. And what does Jesus do? He bends down to this man and he puts his hands on him and he says, son, your sins are forgiven. What? Son, your sins are forgiven? What what has Jesus missed here? Does he not get what's going on with this guy? Does he not understand this guy's greatest need? The guy is paralyzed for crying out loud. And Jesus steps in and the only thing that he says is, son, Your sins are forgiven? Was this like just an incredibly colossal oversight on Jesus? Does he have no heart for this man's condition at all? I think there's something that Jesus absolutely wanted everyone in that room to understand. And I think he wants everyone in this room to understand as well. And that's simply this. The greatest need that was facing that man that day was his sin. It was his sin that was keeping him out of a relationship with God. That was the greatest need that he was experiencing that day. Not everybody saw that, but Jesus knew that's his greatest need. If Jesus were to just have healed his body that day that only lasts for a few years and not heal his soul, which lasts forever in eternity, either with God or separated from God, to do that would have been the most cruel thing that Jesus could have ever done. Jesus wants us to know, and he wanted them to know, that the greatest need facing anybody on planet Earth is to have their sin dealt with. The sin that, when it's dealt with, releases us from the guilt and the shame, gives us a purpose for living, gives us a hope for the future. That was the greatest thing facing that man that day. And when we walk through life and we think about the needs that people have, because we we run into needs all the time. We we see it on the streets in Bozeman. We see it around town. We see it around the world. There are things that just pull at our heartstrings because the needs are so obvious. What Jesus wants us to understand is the greatest need that anyone on the planet has is to have their sin dealt with. And when we think about that and we begin to reflect on that, it changes how we think about people. It changes our motivation in terms of why would we want to get someone to have an encounter with Jesus? Because he's the only one who can meet their deepest need. The second lens that I want to look through is the, the lens of, of the four guys that brought their friend to Jesus. Now, in my, in my mind, these guys are biblical heroes. You know, you've got Peter, you've got Paul, you've got the big names. But, you know, these guys, don't, their names aren't listed here either. But in my mind, these guys are heroes, and I want to be like them in this life because there was something amazing about them. They would do anything to get someone to the feet of Jesus. They weren't going to allow obstacles to keep them from getting their friend to an encounter with Christ. I want us to just think back real quickly to, the, to this story again. Here's these guys. You know, they've heard all these things about that Jesus is doing in their region, the incredible miracles that he's doing and how he's bringing healing to people's bodies and bringing healing to people's souls. And they're thinking, man, wouldn't it be cool to, to get a front row seat to listen to the, to the rabbi that everybody's talking about? But as they're thinking about making a, a trip to hear Jesus, they're not just thinking about their, themselves. They're thinking about their friend. What about him? Maybe this could be his day, you know, and, and I'm sure I don't know what all the logistics that it took, but they, they weren't able to just put this guy in a car and drive him over to this house. It took a lot of effort for them, time and energy and logistically to carry this man as far as it took to get, them, to get him to the house where he could have an encounter with Christ. But all the excitement started to dissipate as they get closer and closer to the house and they see that ain't nobody getting a front row seat for Jesus today that's with us. The house is completely packed. And not only is the house packed, but people are spilling out, even out of the house. We may not even be able to get close to the house. I'm imagining that they were sitting there just thinking, this is, this is not how we'd hope this day would turn out. There was disappointment. But I'm imagining too that one of them began to kind of look up a little bit at the roof and maybe get a, a little bit of a wry smile, and a little bit of a glimmer, in his eye, And he just said, hey guys, I don't think all is lost. We're going in. I've got an idea. You know, and I don't know how, they, how he got everyone on board with his idea, but somehow he did. And the next thing you know, they're, they're taking this man up the staircase along the outside of the house, which would be really common in those days. And their, their roofs were, were flat and often used for entertaining. They go to great lengths and they get him up to the roof. And what do they do? They start digging a hole in the stinking roof to get their friend to Jesus. There is nothing that's gonna stop these guys. It's too important. This isn't evangelism. This is evangelism. I mean, can you imagine? You're the homeowner of this house and all of a sudden the debris starts coming down from the, from the inside and there's people that are tearing your house apart because it matters so much to them that their friend get an opportunity to be at the feet of Jesus If you want to be someone that God uses as an on-ramp for people to come to faith in Christ, I just need to be really honest with you. You are going to run into obstacles. You are going to run into obstacles to doing this. None of us have enough time. You don't have enough time. We barely have enough time to manage our own spiritual life, right? How do we make time for other people? We don't know what to say. None of us in this room is smart enough to answer all the questions that people might ask about faith. We see that we can see that as an obstacle. None of us is so secure that we're not afraid of being rejected by people if we engage in a spiritual conversation. There's none of us that isn't afraid to offend people. There's none of us that as we engage in a spiritual com- conversation probably doesn't get a little bit uncomfortable. There are gonna be obstacles that we need to overcome if we're gonna be an on-ramp for people to help them have an encounter with Jesus. In my life, what I've found, though, is the obstacles that I run into aren't really like the obstacles that these guys ran into. See, their obstacle was kind of out there. It was a a physical obstacle that they needed to overcome. For me, the greatest obstacle is in here. It's inside of me. Overcoming my reluctance to want to get involved in spiritual things with people. I've got to overcome the me barrier. When I was very first on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ, Um, I was at another school called the University of Montana, Missoula. You probably haven't heard of it or thought much about it. But when we worked there, one of the things that we really desired to do was to get the gospel to every student on the campus. And as we sat around as a staff team one time, we were thinking about what are pockets of people on our campus that we just don't have access to? And people that maybe even intimidate us when we think about taking the gospel to them. And as we were engaging in this conversation, it was absolutely obvious to me what that group was for me. It was a group called the Lambda Alliance of Gay Men and Women on that campus. They were an incredibly vocal group on campus. They would protest and picket, and at times I just thought they're, they're really angry, and the last person that they would ever wanna talk to is me, but I was stupid enough to say this out loud in our staff meeting, and so my director says, well, why don't you set up some focus groups with the Lambda Alliance? on our campus and I'm thinking, great, you know, why don't I just learn to filter these ideas and keep my mouth shut and not actually say them? But that led me that afternoon to sitting across from the student activities, Um, there was a wing there that they had all the student groups' offices and I sat kind of across the hall atrium from where they officed and I sat there for what seemed like forever, I was so afraid, I just thought they are not gonna want to talk to me and I tried to work up the courage and tried to pray and God give me courage and nothing. Just, just weenie all day long, just scared to death. Finally, as I was looking in kind of the glass door, I saw the guy get up and uh, he left the room and he turned around, he locked the door, turned out the light and he left. And in my mind, I'm just thinking, whew, finally, I can go home. You know, I can maybe start tomorrow morning and work up courage all day long, try to get this thing figured out. But what I needed to do was I needed to find out what their office hours were so I knew when when to come back to be afraid the next day. And uh, so I got up to the door and I was writing down the information and next thing I know I felt this tap on my shoulder and there was the guy standing there that had just left saying, hey, can I help you out with something? And uh, I said, yeah, actually I I would love to talk with you if I could. It was kind of interesting, I found out later in that conversation that he had done that on purpose. He'd seen me over there nervous all day long was thinking that I was just afraid to come into the office, which indeed I was. And he said, oh, yeah, I do that all the time. I just leave, and then people come over to get the information, and then I come back, and then we start a conversation. I'm like, okay, you got me. You got me. All right. But as I stepped into that office that day, I began to tell them what I wanted to do. I said, we just love to sit down and and ask you questions we don't want to tell you anything we just want to hear from you we want to talk with you about meaning and purpose in life we want to talk with you about sex dating and relationships we want to talk with you about your views of christianity and we just want to hear from you and uh over the time of this conversation the room began to kind of fill up with lots of other uh folks from the group and the room was pretty mixed actually about half of them were very skeptical and critical in fact, the, the leader of the group was, was by far the most skeptical of me. He said, I know your type. I know what you're going to do. He said, You're just going to take whatever information you get and you're going to try to write some book about how my dad didn't love me and that's why I am the way that I am. And I convinced him I'm definitely not smart enough to write a book. And he, I think he believed me just by looking at me. But the rest of the room had a different take. And this was actually the hardest thing for me to hear. The criticism of me was one thing, but the rest of the room said, I think we should do this. When has a Christian ever cared about what we think? I think we should do this. And it started a, a series of meetings with this group where we began to sit down and talk about things that really mattered in life. And over the period of weeks, we laughed together, probably harder than I've ever laughed in my life. Had so much fun, we We cried together a lot as they talked about some of the hurt and pain in their life and even some of that pain that had been caused by the Christian community. But by the time these meetings were over, this leader that had been so skeptical and so hard said to me, would you be willing to be a resource for us? We have so many people that are involved in our group that have questions about spirituality, but we have no idea where we could send them to have their questions answered. We don't trust anybody, would you be willing to be a resource for us? I I just said, yeah, absolutely, I would love to do that. As I began to look back and think about that experience, it was just one of the, the highlights of my time in ministry. But the thing that I had to overcome was my own reluctance to wanna get involved in the lives of other people that I just assumed didn't wanna have anything to do with me. When we overcome that, God will open up avenues that you wouldn't even imagine. Because God wants to use his people to be an on-ramp for other people to come to faith in Christ. It's his plan. That's the reputation that I want our church to have, is the reputation that these four guys had in their world. That this is a group of people that they care so much about people that they will do anything they will do whatever it takes they will think outside the box they will overcome obstacles they will do whatever it takes to get people to the feet of Christ now, i want us to think for a minute if we wanted to move toward this if we felt like you know i i do i want to be i want to be an on-ramp for people what would we what would we do i want us to think really practically here a little bit today and the first thing that i think all of us would need to do and if you're if you're resistant to thinking about talking to people about issues of faith you're going to like this first thing because it doesn't require you to say one thing but this is what i want to ask you to do if you would do this this week is ask god to fit you with a new pair of glasses just say god would you fit me with a new pair of glasses god would you help me to begin to see people in this world the way that you see people in this world Because you've probably noticed that there's a different way that the world sees people than the way that God sees people. The Apostle Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.16. He says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. What he's saying is, from now on, we throw away the world's glasses. And when we look at the people that are trafficking around us, the people that we're rubbing shoulders with, we look at them with God's eyes and not the world's eyes you might be asking, "Well well, how in the world does God see these people?" You know, there, there's a lot of things that God is thinking about, every person on the planet. And a lot of those thoughts I don't know, but there's a few that I do. And this is what I want you to do. If you could find yourself in a place where you can actually either sit or walk around and look into the eyes of people that are trafficking around your world, if that's at work, if that's in the mall, if that's up on campus. Wherever that is, just put yourself in a place where you can look into the eyes of people as they walk around. And this is what I want you to think because this is what God is thinking about them and saying to them. God is saying to them, I made you. I made you in my image. God is saying, I sent my son to die for them. God is saying, I would rather see the death of my son than spend eternity without them. They are valuable to me. They're incredibly valuable to me. I've known them for all of eternity, and they are incredibly valuable to me. As I was writing this sermon this week, I was up on campus, and I, I just thought, you know, God, I just need to do that in my own life, and just remind myself of how you see people. And I did this on campus this week, and it, I actually had to quit because it was one of the most overwhelming things that I've done in a long time, is just to really sit and think about all the people that are walking around me, that God knows them. He's known them for all of eternity. He made them in his image. He sent his son to die for them because he would rather see his son die than spend eternity without them. They are incredibly valuable to him. And God is working in different ways in everyone's life around us. Everyone that we're gonna lay eyes on is gonna be somewhere on a spiritual journey. But here's the deal is we, we have no idea where they are on their spiritual journey, do we? But you know what I think will happen as you begin to fit your life with new glasses? You'll start to become curious. God, if this person's so valuable to them and you want to know them so badly, what, what are you doing in their life? What's going on in their spiritual life? And that leads us to one of the greatest tools that I think that we have in, in engaging people, and that's a question. We begin to ask people, where are you at on your spiritual journey? Because it only makes sense. If someone called you right now and they needed directions on how to get somewhere, you're going to ask them a question first, aren't you? You're going to ask them, well, well, where are you? Where are you at? Because I first need to figure out where you're at so that I can give you directions to where you need to go. You wouldn't just start giving people random directions from anywhere. You need to find out where are people at in their journey spiritual journey. And I don't think that there's a better way to do that than simply asking them a question. Now, in your notes page, I've I've listed just a handful of questions that I think are, for my money, they're, they're the best ones just in terms of helping figure out where people are in their spiritual journey. But I know what the perception is when you think about, even if you're looking at those questions right now, what you're thinking of, this would be the weirdest conversation in the world for me to just ask this question out of the blue, just to, to drop the God bomb just out of nowhere. You know, you're thinking it's gonna be something like, hey, look at that pretty sunset. God made the sunset, speaking of God. You know, and then we're, you know, it's just, it's just like this weird conversation and we kind of think that that's what, that's what it's gonna be like. But here's my philosophy, is if you're weird about having a spiritual conversation, the conversation is gonna be weird. If you're normal about having a spiritual conversation, the conversation is gonna be normal. A couple of weeks ago, we had a a retreat with Campus Crusade for Christ, and the speaker had talked about some of these same things, about how you could help someone come to faith in Christ and begin spiritual conversations. One of the things he did that was really interesting was the very last morning, he wanted to put a tool in the hands of the students to, to help get them into a spiritual conversation. And this is, what, this is what he told everyone. He said, when you go home from this weekend, he said, you're probably gonna ask some of your friends, hey, what did you do this weekend? You know, or how was your weekend? And they're gonna tell you about their weekend and most people that aren't completely self-centered will, you know, ask the same question of you. Well, how was your weekend? And he said, this is what I want you to say to them. He said, simply say this. You know, I, I went to a retreat this weekend and we talked about my relationship with God and it was really helpful do you have any kind of a spiritual background? And he said, just see where the conversation goes. See what God would do if you just simply asked it in that way. And I talked early in the week with a student. It was interesting. He was a little bit skeptical that that would ever work. But he went back to his dorm and he was talking with a student and out of the blue, this girl that he was talking to says to him, hey, how was that weekend that you just had? And he was like, you know this is it this is what he was talking about and I don't think I don't think he really thought that it was gonna be helpful but he he said I just I just said what the speaker said I said I I learned some things about God and and I think it's gonna be really helpful and do you have any kind of a spiritual background he said for the next hour we talked about her spiritual life he said I would have had no idea that she was interested in spiritual things at all and he said after that it happened again And again, he said, I found myself in all these spiritual conversations just by simply asking a question. Now, I want you to leave this weekend with the same tool because you're going to go to work on Monday. You're going to go to school on Monday. You're going to go to college on Monday. And you're going to say, someone's (laughs) going to ask you, how was your weekend? And you're going to say, I heard the most amazing sermon (laughs) I've ever heard in my whole life changed my life forever or something like that but tell them that you learned something about God that was helpful and then just say do you have any kind of a spiritual background and see what God would do see if God would use that to begin a spiritual conversation with someone in your life take a risk and get curious about what's going on behind people's faces behind every face is a drama there's a story worth telling and a story worth listening to God's at work in the lives of people all around us. Let's start asking questions. And I want to kind of add something maybe just as a little bit of a, an aside. There's often times as I, as I talk with people about engaging in spiritual conversations that sometimes we can kind of pick and choose who we talk to based on things we see in their life. And sometimes I, I hear Christians say, oh man, look at what's going on in his life. He is obviously not interested in God. We kind of use this, outward behavior as kind of a a litmus test for spiritual interest and in my experience that's almost never the case oftentimes people that living lifestyles that seem very far from god are some of the most empty people in the world and they're looking for something anything that will fill up that hole in their life that only god was made to fill don't assume just based on people's behavior what their spiritual interest is And the last thing I wanna have you think about is a a second tool in your tool belt that I think is one of the greatest things that you can use to help introduce people to Christ. And it's simply this, what, what we're doing right now. God's people getting together, talking about life, talking about things that matter, talking to God, worshiping God. This is a great environment for you to bring people that are just trying to check out the whole God thing that are kind of maybe just kicking the tires of Christianity. I know, I've been in the meetings with the men and women that plan these weekend services, and they are very intentional about doing everything we can to make this a very, very safe place for people that are, are maybe just checking out issues related to faith. And Brian, he said it many times from this stage. If there's anything that happens around journey on a weekend that would keep you from inviting a friend that might be seeking spiritually, we want to know about it. We want to hear about it because we want to do whatever we can to make this the best inviting environment possible. There are people in your world that would come here if you would just simply invite them. The number one reason that people come to church when they're polled, because somebody invited me. Take an interest in a neighbor, in a coworker, anyone. Invite them to come here and be a part of what God's doing on the weekends. It's a great tool that we have in our tool belt. We've called this series Vital Signs because we're talking about what are, what are the signs of spiritual health in the life of a person, in the life of a church. And I think it's a sign of spiritual health when there are people that care deeply about people that are far From God. What I would want is if if people were to feel the pulse of us as individuals and us as a church, that they would the thing that they would feel underneath their fingers is that this is a group of people that love people. Their heart beats for the things that God heart God's heart beats for. People are valuable to them because people are valuable to God. And these people will do anything that it takes to help people be an on-ramp to a relationship with Christ. If you just take some time and set your things aside, I, I want you to just bow your heads and go to a time of prayer and just ask God, is there, is there anything, God, that you would want to say to me as a result of the things that I've heard? If you could just keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed for just a a few more minutes. I don't know where anyone is out in this room on their spiritual journey but I know that God does. And I know that he loves you and that he values you and that he wants you to know him in a personal way. And maybe today it's become clear to you there's something that is stirred inside of you And you realize, maybe even for the very first time, that God is real, that he's personal, and that he wants to have a relationship with you that will last forever. You realize that God has offered you a great gift of forgiveness through Christ's death on the cross for your sin. If you're here today and you want to take that gift that God is offering to you, I want to help you do that here this morning. You can do that simply by expressing these things that I'm about to pray in your heart to God. You can pray like this. God, I believe with everything in me that you are real, that you love me, and that you wanna have a relationship with me that's gonna last forever. But God, I admit today that I have sinned, and as a result, I've been going my own separate way, away from a life connected to you. I need your gift of forgiveness, God. Thank you for sending your son, your only son, Jesus Christ, to die in my place, to pay the penalty for my sin, and to make a way for me to have a relationship with you. Jesus, I ask you today to come into my life, to clean me up from the inside out, and to give me a fresh start. Starting today, God, I make you the boss of my life. If you took that step toward God today, I want to let you know that around here we believe you've made the biggest decision that you'll ever make in your life. And we believe that decision is so big that we don't want to let this opportunity pass without letting you know, without having you let someone know that you've made that decision. So what I want to ask you to do, if you've made that decision here today, if you would just lift up your head and raise your hand and make eye contact with me. There's no one looking around but me, but I just want to acknowledge you and and just join with you in saying that you've stepped across that line of faith today. You can do that now. Right there. Amen. Over there at the back, I see you. And right there, it's the greatest decision you'll ever make in your life. Is there anyone else? I don't want to miss anyone. God, we are so thankful that you are a God that pursues us relentlessly. God, thank you that you've done all the work to make a relationship possible for us with the God who made us. It's an incredible privilege. God, it's also a great privilege that you allow us to be your spokespeople in the world. That you use us to help other people come to know you. God, we want to do that better and better. We want our hearts to break for the things that your heart breaks for and that we'd be passionate about the things that your heart is passionate for. Lord, I pray that you'd help us do that. In your son's powerful name we pray, amen.